Welcome to the Meta Woman Podcast. We address the issues, opportunities, and challenges facing women in the development of the metaverse, the biggest revolution since the internet itself. Every week, we bring you conversations with top female talent and business executives operating in the gaming and crypto industries. Here's your host, Lindsay the Boss Poss. The Meta Woman Podcast starts now. Hello and welcome to the Meta Woman Podcast, part of the Holodeck Media Podcast Network. I'm your host, Lindsay the Boss Poss. From struggle to success, we're covering it all. To our returning listeners, you've heard it before, but thank you so much for supporting the show. Please be sure to leave five-star ratings and reviews, recommend it to a friend, you know the deal. For our new listeners, welcome, and I hope you enjoy the show. We have a great guest this week. She's been so involved with the business of esports and holodeck media. It's been so great having her to just be on the team and nerd out about data stuff. Um, one of my favorite things to do. I'm so happy to introduce Nicole Pike, who is the global sector head of esports and gaming at YouGov. Nicole, welcome to the show. To start, if you could just introduce yourself, give us a couple sentences of your background, tell us about YouGov, all that good stuff. Definitely. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to join the conversation. Um, so I have been in all things data and gaming for, gosh, about 15 years now. Um, my, my background is in um, consumer research and understanding the voice of the consumer. And I've been able to kind of take that from the, the broader gaming side of things um, through to the growth of esports and trying to help um, companies understand who esports fans are, what they want, how to make their experience better. And, and now I'm in a pretty cool position here at YouGov, building out um, all of our data in the gaming and esports space and, and really just trying to make it um, a lot more robust for everyone, um, knowing how important understanding the gaming universe is for uh, people in the industry, but also all of the other clients that, that we work with and all the other companies around the world who are starting to get more involved and integrated with um, all things gaming. Yeah, for those of you who are into data or data science people, um, Nicole was previously at Nielsen too, which is another huge, huge data organization. Um, so you've been working with working with this for a bit now. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, for for better or worse, me and data are, are stuck together. So right. it's, uh, <laughs> it's fun. I love it. <laughs> That's okay. There's always something new, which is fun. Um, yes. To start, I know, speaking of new things, you all mm -hmm. at YouGov just released a big three-part report a couple months ago on influencers in gaming. I know that yeah. you all do a ton of work on the gaming industry in general. Um, this one was, this is a big report, all for free, so we'll definitely link to it in the show notes. I want to highlight cool. some of the key points just to help us frame our discussion, um, particularly where diversity, equity, inclusion are concerned. So like I said, this is a three-part report, so I have a couple points from each of them. Um, but some of the key ones are 12% of men and 5% of women follow gaming influencers globally, which isn't a huge gap when you think about it. If you think about the whole world um, and 12% of men and 5% of women, those are both massive numbers. And granted, the male audience is bigger, but the female audience is is quite large to advertisers, to content producers, to, to game companies, to all of that. That's a huge... It's a big deal. Um, when it comes to influencers in general, it's about split in who follows influencers. The gender breakdown of people who follow gaming influencers is 53% of men and 47% of women for any type, or I'm sorry, I have that backwards. This is for anyone who follows an influencer in general. 
Okay, so bear with me. <laughs> the minutia of this is confusing, but you go put it all in nice graphs. So of all of the people who follow influencers, the gender breakdown is 53% of women and 47% of men. So I flip those around. But the point there is that of people who follow influencers, there's a slight, slight hedge towards women who are more likely to follow an influencer. Um, but it's, again, very close to a 50-50 breakdown in who is actually following influencers. So I think there's also a perception, you know, women follow celebrities and all of this stuff. But when you think about 47% of men are, are also... Of people who follow influencers, 47% are men. That's also a big deal. Um, when it comes specifically to gaming influencers, people who follow gaming influencers are 69% men and 31% women. So of the people who follow gaming influencers, that one is actually more skewed, much more skewed towards men, which is about a two-third, one-third breakdown. Um, and then when it comes to streamers, of the top 100 streamers, Five were women, and they accounted for 3.3% of hours watched, which that, when I read that statistic, I was just so sad. <laughs> um, <laughs> so we have kind of an even even playing field when it comes to kind of following influencers, although men are more likely to follow gaming influencers. But then when you get to actually the people who are producing gaming content, there's such a drastic drop-off. So that indicates such a pipeline problem to me. Um, I don't know if you have any thoughts or more insights about that, but I'd love to hear what you think. Yeah, totally. Problem, opportunity, um, you know, depending on, on the way you look at it, um, it, it is pretty amazing. Um, it's, it's, there's clearly a demand and interest for um, gaming influencers and gaming content among women um, right now. And, and certainly, you know, both genders, men who watch gaming influencers follow women influencers and vice versa. Um, but the, the, just the split of content from a gender perspective is um, massively skewed toward men. Um, and, you know, probably not, not dissimilar from um, a lot of other folks in the industry and in general. I mean, I know you talk on this podcast a lot about all things mm -hmm. gaming, whether it's, you know, who, who makes the game, who markets the games, um, who, you know, is streaming the content. And, and I think, um, you know, that's, that's something that the gaming industry as a whole has, has struggled a bit with. Um, but I think, you know, if, as we look at a lot of the big gaming influencer orgs, um, you, you see a similar skew. So I, I think just generally the way things have evolved so far, and the good news is I, I feel like in the grand scheme of the gaming influencer economy, we're still pretty early um, because I, I see it only growing further. But I, I do think that um, it's it's been a bit of a self-perpetuating, um, you know, dominated by males early. And, and then that's kind of just continued to, to be how it grows, how gaming houses and, and content houses have, have been forming and um, kind of evolving. So I, I think, you know, when, if, if done right, whether that's, you know, female specific content houses or just creating more equity within those, I, I think, you know, that's, that's an excellent start. And there's, there's clearly the female demand for it, especially as more gaming influencers go into non-gaming content, right? A lot of what we see um, in, in a lot of our data is people are following gaming influencers, sure, because they play games they like, but also just because they're entertaining and funny and um, so it doesn't necessarily 
have to all be about gaming. Um, so whether a female is a super hardcore gamer or is just into gaming a little bit, but likes other things, like I think just kind of everyone recognizing that there's the demand there um, will will help to kind of um, bridge that supply gap a bit. This is kind of an aside as well, but I recently saw a Twitch streamer who was a makeup artist too. So there's mm. obviously a lot of potential within streaming to not just stream games or to just stream things that are sort of game adjacent, still within the realm of the gaming industry. I definitely think makeup and cosplay is a huge part of gaming. So there's no reason to yeah. not have that as part of the content creation process. Um, but totally. what do you think it's going to, I mean, you mentioned a little bit about it's shifting focuses and sort of rebuilding an industry where men have dominated from early on. But what do you think will encourage more female streamers? Definitely think there's obvious answers there. Um, but just wondering if there's anything that you've seen from all your time spending spent looking at this data that you can say, oh, improving toxicity will really make a difference or paying people, or I, I don't know exactly what it is, but I would love to hear what you think are some of the things that could change and encourage more women to get out there and produce content. Yeah. I mean, I think there's, there's, again, you can see it as problem or opportunity, but I think there's a lot of different things that could contribute to um, turning that around. I mean, I think at a most basic level, we've we've done research uh, last year, about this time actually, we put out a report with um, Evil Geniuses, who is, is obviously very diversity um, you know, driven and focused and, and really is, I think, one of the few orgs that kind of lives that in their blood and that really comes through in everything they do. Um, and um, the, the degree to which female gamers have experienced toxicity, the percent of them who have, um, it, it's pretty overwhelming. So I think at a very core kind of, you know, if people are following gaming influencers for gaming related content, and if, if just, you know, playing games themselves, um, females face toxicity, especially for, you know, more games that are, um, competitive and, and, you know, kind of more esports um, appropriate games, like that's going to impact things all the way down the funnel to who they're following and, um, you know, who, who they interact with and all that. So I think there's still very much a core kind of industry um, problem that, that needs to be addressed and solved. But I think beyond that, I mean, one of the interesting things we've seen, um, with, with gaming influencers as of late is we're seeing more and more brands and sponsors really getting behind and, and engage with them. And as much as I'd like to say, oh, it's just about kind of the industry from within figuring, um, things mm -hmm. out also money talks. And, and so one of the things that I'm really passionate about is also helping, advertisers and, and brands who are interested in reaching consumers through gaming understand that it's not just a bunch of dudes sitting around a computer screen who are watching gaming content, but it really, you know, I think the, the headline is always, oh, if you want to reach 18 to 34 year old males, go to Twitch. And that's totally true. But there are also a lot of non-males on Twitch and YouTube gaming and just watching mm -hmm. that type of content. Um, so I think just, just also kind of socializing and, and helping brands to understand that there are really great opportunities to support females um, in the content creation space will allow them a platform and, and give them the ability to take the risk to, to do that more um, more in a more dedicated way. So I'm uh, hoping that we see a, a lot more of that along the lines of like the Tampax Gaming Fest and, you know, some of the cool activations that we've seen over the last couple of years um, being more female creator focused. 
that's been a big point of emphasis for me because this isn't this isn't a ploy to get companies to spend less money on whatever they're spending advertising to 18 to 34 year old men. It's more to say, hey, you can also make money advertising to other people. There is an sure. economic reason to try to reach other audiences yeah. here. That's actually a dream. <laughs> it's it's been a dream paper of mine for a while to write about the size and the purchasing power of women in gaming, because this isn't to say that you have to pick one or the other, that you have to give up one for the other. This is to say, hey, you could do even more and make even more if you included women. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's almost, you know, I've, I've worked, um, like, like you mentioned at Nielsen for a while, and we did a lot on our sport side of the business on female and women in sport. And it's almost kind of that same, wave or or movement, but possibly a a bit behind that. Right. Or it was all of a sudden like, Oh my gosh, the women's national soccer team, like (laughs) girls and females, like they are amazing role models. And then people are, you know, that fan group is so passionate about it. And all of a sudden it's like, Oh, that audience is ripe for, you know, reaching them through that. Whereas usually when people think of sports and, and sponsorship, you think of, you know, kind of on, on average advertising to males. So I think it's almost a similar thing where it's like, just because it may not be the biggest cohort still doesn't mean that it's not a super engaged, um, group of people who are, are really loyal and, um, committed to and, and trust the influencers they follow, because I absolutely think that's the case with female gamers. Oh, yeah. And there's there's different spending habits in both of those populations, too. And you can certainly you can certainly make more off of a smaller cohort that's more willing to spend as well. Um, and when things when things are, are done well, I mean, th- that can happen. So it's, yeah. just, it's such a point of frustration to me because it, there's this sense of taking away from other things to advertise to women as if you have to spend less dollars on other things to advertise to women. It's like, no, 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 there's a direct return on investment with that as well. There's right. You you will be able to make that up. Um, Exactly. And it doesn't just need to be makeup and tampons and things too. Right. Right. Not that those aren't, I mean, obviously there's been really successful activations in this space with that, but females are buying a lot of other products too. Um, so if you can talk to them in, in a way that's true to the platform, wherever that platform may be, that, that can still be a win. Yeah, absolutely. One, one thing about this whole discussion that bugs me when, when I know I've had this, this sort of experience previously working in tech, um, and just seeing some of the circular logic that's applied here. And it's very similar across tech. We're using streaming as an example here, but this kind of logic where there's not enough women streamers because not enough women watch streaming, but if there are more women streamers, probably more women would watch streaming, but nobody wants to put in the money to actually mm-hmm. get into the more part. So you just constantly wind up with, well, we're not investing because there's no women streamers to invest in, but there's no women streamers to invest in because nobody's investing. And it's like everything just compounds and there's always kind of an excuse not to do it. So uh, how do we address that gap and got not only women more comfortable with things like content production and streaming, but companies more comfortable with actually investing in that and seeing the value in it? What what kinds of data points are you looking to provide to show, hey, this is a good idea? <laughs> yeah. So I think, I mean, one of the, the biggest kind of things that when we're working with gaming and, and esports orgs, um, whether it's teams or rights holders or, you know, influencer um, agencies, like being able to prove that gaming is the right spot to reach people in terms of like really connecting with them and, and 
influencing their opinion in a meaningful way, um, I, I think is kind of the, the biggest talking point that we um, are asked to prove with the data. So, you know, if, if you think about it, it's like, yeah, they're people are consuming more content and media than ever before today. So why gaming and, and why for females? And I think, um, you know, the, the point to kind of think about is female, female gamers, you know, we, we just talked about, they may be a, a minority, but in a way that actually makes them more committed to gaming closer to the community they have, because they've had to kind of find a way to personally connect to and, and a squad, if you will, to be part of within the gaming industry um, and, and within just their interactions with it. So they kind of have, have those that are really engaged and have gone to the point of streaming content or watching stream content. Like they, they are really passionate about it and they have these deep relationships and connections. And that is the lifeblood of a great sponsorship, right? Is being able to work Literally. with someone someone who has a really strong connection with their audience. Um, and, and we see it, it with gaming in general, but I really do believe even more so with female gamers that um, there, there really is um, that, that connection to each other and to the games they play and, and that passion and trust. Um, and that's what should you know ultimately be, be driving decisions to invest just as much as size of audience, if, if not more in some cases. Well, in the word of the day, the gaming industry is authenticity for sure. <laughs> um, so it certainly sounds like, especially if you are a woman, and this was actually a debate we had on the Business of Esports live stream, which is every Wednesday night we recently had this debate about Amaranth came out and said she makes something like $1.5 million a month. And there was this whole article about how she... Uh, basically said, you know, it's it's hard. It's hard and I'm tired and I have to run all of these things and it's not the easiest. And all of my co-hosts uh, kind of jumped on her for that and said, oh, we feel so bad for you making all this money, blah, 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 blah. Um, and I was the one who's like, okay, everybody relax. <laughs> um, but I think one of the things that happens there too is when you have a woman or someone who's representing another underserved uh, population become that powerful and that successful, there's also a sense of, well, all she does is put on makeup and stream. It's easy. She could be replaced. She doesn't deserve it. Um, and that's definitely, I think, something that's persisted throughout the industry. And this is more, this is less data driven. This is more anecdotal. This is more of uh -huh. an, an emotional reaction to what I see in the industry. But I will say that the people who actually start with an audience and build and build and build and become this successful are incredibly talented and smart people. It's not overnight that the success happens. And it often starts with a small group of very dedicated watchers who appreciate the authenticity yeah. that that person is bringing and the community <laughs> that they are serving. Um, so I think that what you're, what you're saying and that these people who maybe begin with attracting a specific type of audience can really focus on community building within their own content that they create. I think that that's a really powerful tool for becoming successful and not everyone who does it is going to be. So the ones that are yeah. really good at it become really successful and they deserve it. Um, I'm wondering if you do see this kind of thing though, with if you can extrapolate maybe to other underserved populations and if you could talk about some of the things that you're able to some of the data you're able to provide with people when you're looking at not only just women streamers, but LGBTQ plus streamers or uh, minority streamers who are representing a specific um, population for them? Or are you kind of seeing this across the industry? Because 
authenticity really has been the word of the minute or the word of the day here. Um, but are you seeing that and being able to provide that data to say, look at these people who have a specific audience in mind, a specific niche and how they're able to draw them in and kind of this good opportunity for sponsorship or for advertisement because of that. Are you seeing that not just with women, but with other underserved populations? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I mean, you know, that can be a demographic population. It can be a game title that may not be the biggest on Twitch or, or YouTube, but kind of has um, its its little community that follows it and is slowly growing. Um, so, yes. Um, and, and I think the biggest thing there is, is really kind of from a, a brand or sponsor's perspective is making sure that they aren't just taking advantage of that because it, it seems like someone has, is growing or on the app or, you know, has a good personality or something like that, but that it really, you know, especially with kind of underserved um, communities or, or minorities, you have to make sure that the, the product message and um, just kind of ethos actually aligns with that community as well. Um, I think generally speaking, you know, gamers are, are very, um, and especially people you know, who are watching gaming content um, really frequently are, are very sensitive to and, and can sniff out when someone is trying to jump on the gaming bandwagon versus when they, um, you know, when there's, there's actually a message that is worth delivering to them and, and connecting to them. So yes, I think we, we see it happen. And I think gaming is, um, a, a great place for that. Um, but I do think, you know, especially when, when you get to, um, those more niche audiences that there has to be a really clear kind of selling and, and message proposition. And you have to have the buy-in from the influencer as well to really, um, kind of, you know, take, take that on and, um, understand that their, their name is behind it and to only take things that are, are you know, that are believable to their audience, um, in, in terms of support and that sort of thing. And that's why I, I, you know, really like the more deals we see that are, are going direct with influencers or agents and things, um, as opposed, you know, I, I think that just gives more control to the creator in terms of making selections for themselves and, um, just, just kind of making that a better experience for their audience. I think that's, um, you know, I'm, I'm not a content creator. Um, I'm, I'm, you know, speaking on podcasts is, is basically the extent of anything I do there, but I can imagine what a struggle that is, right. Where you're trying to grow and get a high profile and be able to support yourself and make that your full-time job. And so getting that income is important, but at the same time, you don't want to be seen as a sellout for it. And it's a, a really de delicate balancing act, um, that, that they have to, um, navigate. So, um, the, at the end of the day, you want the audiences to win and, um, and making sure on both the brand and influencer side that that happens is really important. Sounds like there's kind of a dual matchmaking process as in the company has to choose the influencer and the influencer has to choose the company back. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And they have to evolve with it over time too, right? Mm -hmm. If it's a, a long-term relationship, it's not just about like, oh, there's this new product coming out and it's sitting on my desk while I'm streaming this week and, and then it goes away, right? I mean, there are kind of times and opportunities for that. Um, and you've seen mm -hmm. more and more activations where it may be kind of like a, a bunch of different influencers are, are doing something. But I think the, the ones that kind of resonate best with audiences is when there's kind of a consistent conversation and, and when the kind of angle and and the tone of things evolves as the influencer evolves um, because we know they have to keep things fresh and, and new themselves, right? Yeah, I definitely think that's true. I want to, based on that, I kind of want to shift focus and ask you if you've seen any 
overall changing trends? Because you've been looking at this kind of data for a bit now. Mm-hmm. Any overall changing trends from the past, I don't know, maybe five or 10 years as it relates to gender or on other um, minority populations? And when I say general trends, I mean, either from the company side as in maybe companies being either more or less interested in targeting specific populations from the watching side of of who is joining these audiences or who is leaving these audiences from the content creation side? Are you seeing more variety in creators or less or like, can you, I, this is a very broad, but any kind of general (laughs) trends that have stuck out to you that you've seen kind of change over the past five or 10 years? Yeah. And I'll, I'll kind of bring up a few and if one sounds particularly interesting, uh, feel free to chime in yourself. I mean, I think look, starting with the content creators, you know, the, the stat you mentioned is of the top 100 um, content creators from last year, only five mm-hmm. were female. I will say that I think the um, the supply at kind of more the micro-influencer um, side of things is starting to grow um, on, on the female side, which I think is in, super encouraging. And um, I, I think, you know, it's still not nearly where, you know, not even or not even kind of that split of um, what, what we see people actually watch the content are. But, but I do think we're starting to see that becoming kind of more of an acceptable thing for for males and females alike. So I'm hopeful that with the pipeline um, kind of increasing that that we may, you know, see that funnel up over time. But I think the industry has to be really mindful of that because, you know, you see that in the job market as well. But that doesn't mean that females are all of a sudden representative at, you know, the the top spots in any particular industry, especially gaming. So it's, you know, likely to face the same kind of challenges um, over over time that we've seen elsewhere. I think from an audience perspective, probably the biggest thing we've, we've seen from a gender um, kind of evolution is certainly with younger audiences, you're starting to see kind of more, more engagement with gaming beyond just mobile. Um, so I think, you know, 10, 10 years ago, um, we saw the percent, if you looked at anyone who played video games, the percent um, of males and females kind of starting to, to get near parity. Um, and, and that was almost entirely due to mobile gaming, mobile slash kind of casual, you know, Facebook, um, anything, right. which, which is mostly all mobile now, but at the time was more desktop driven. Um, right. Mm-hmm. So we, we started to see that kind of, um, equalizing the the male-female contribution to the gaming industry. But if you looked at mobile versus non-mobile or the percent who were playing a lot versus a little, like you still, you know, saw some really clear skews. I think what we're starting to see now is with things like Minecraft and Roblox and kind of yeah. that, you know, um, the, the more of the emphasis on um, STEM in, in elementary schools and gaming just becoming more of a social outlet crossover with music and gaming. There's so many kind of micro trends that I think are starting to bring females more into um, different types of games. And in fact, if, if you take a look, we actually at, at younger ages don't see as much of a distinction between, you know, in mobile gaming of like it being a female driven thing versus a male driven thing. Um, but you do see kind of more females getting engaged in playing games on Switch or PC games and things like that, which um, is, is definitely a newer trend um, and, and exciting to think about and, and to see kind of how that evolves. We do still see that the amount of time they spend is less females tend to spend more time on social media and less time like actually in games, but just the percent overall that are engaging with gaming in some way is, is definitely higher, um, which I think 
then when you kind of extrapolate that to the metaverse, um, which I know is something that you are, you know, starting to explore more and more on the podcast, um, like that becomes really interesting because it's, you know, if it's a matter of just kind of getting them in the door and, and then them engaging with all different types of content in kind of this virtual atmosphere, like that's what females are already doing in, in games right. to a large extent. So, um, so yeah, that's, that's kind of a trend that I think is going to continue into some really cool things as, as the metaverse economy grows. That's so cool. That's, <laughs> I mean, anecdotally, I feel like that's what we've been seeing, but it's good to actually have that backed up. Um, as someone who is a hyper casual and mobile gamer, even I have gotten more interested in game. Like the pandemic has also helped that a little bit being inside (laughs) definitely changed. But I, I totally think for younger generations that that barrier is even more removed. I think Roblox has, has really done a lot for that. And Minecraft. Um, Mm -hmm. I, I used to work at a children's summer camp and all of the kids talked about Minecraft. Like there was no gender there was nothing it was every kid was playing freaking minecraft (laughs) (laughs) at the time i didn't have a great grasp on what it was i was like i have to learn what the heck is going on with minecraft (laughs) (laughs) so i i i definitely like i said anecdotally that feels true but it's good to know that the data backs that up so speaking of the metaverse you were just quoted recently during the webby awards as saying to many gamers playing virtual world games may not actually feel or seem like gaming it's just an entertaining extension of how their social lives have evolved. And I like this approach because like we're talking about with younger generations and kids, it nods to the fact that gaming has already kind of seen a series of metaverse experiences, stretching all the way back to Second Life, which nearly every person over 50 has told me is the metaverse. <laughs> and now <laughs> with this with these platform types of games like Roblox and Fortnite. So I would first like to ask you to expand on this point, and then I would love to hear you talk about how you see entertainment entertainment and gaming, how you see those two kind of changing in their definitions or changing in the way we interact with them as it relates to the metaverse. Yeah, so I, I mean, I think on the first point, if you think about, you know, when, when I was a teenager, when we wanted to hang out, we would go to the mall <laughs> and, and walk around and and you know, just kind of chat with each other and pop in stores. And and now you see whether it's just, I mean, even just kids sitting on their couches texting with each other. Imagine just putting, you know, translating that into a full digital world where they're sitting next to each other, quote unquote, um, within the metaverse um, and, and doing that. Um, but, you know, when you think about games like Minecraft or even Fortnite, a lot of kids are you know, are using that as just a place to hang out and talk. You, you know, you, you look at a lot of um, kids who may not actually be actively playing when they're in the game, but more in there just to see what their friends are talking about. Um, and during the pandemic, that was, um, you know, something that, that definitely was a trend that accelerated was just, you know, being in a Minecraft or a Fortnite or, or whatnot, just as a way to connect with people. Um, so I think that has become very natural for younger generations of just, you know, we don't have to be physically together to be able to interact with each other. So thinking about extending that to, okay, let's, you know, go to this virtual store together. Or let's um, watch a virtual concert together. That all feels very natural. And and then as you think about, you know, creating an avatar or someone who is virtually different than your person, you know, we've got all the Finsta accounts. I mean, all of this is very like, you know, kind of 
things that they've dabbled in. So to think that it's a stretch to kind of transfer that over to just being in a a fully virtual world is, is, you know, it's not that hard to imagine. Um, So I think that that part is really, really interesting, though there are still obviously lots of of bearers and things to figure out, like giving a bunch of teenagers crypto wallets and things like that. So we've got got a a long way to go there. But the, the just kind of notion of trying to imagine what the metaverse might be like and getting them engaged like feels very easy um to to transition them to i love that you brought up finstas as a point of support for that (laughs) that's amazing (laughs) um when it comes to data and things that you're looking at when it pertains to the metaverse what are you kind of already tracking or thinking about what questions are you thinking about asking yeah, so um, here you go. We've we've asked a handful of kind of general metaverse questions. Um, you'd, you'd be surprised, you know, in our industry, and I'm you know on LinkedIn all the time, and in these virtual conferences and things. And so NFTs and crypto and metaverse is like all anyone's talking about right now. But when you actually take a step back and look at the general population, um, there is still on you know the majority of people are not aware of the metaverse and don't even those who are aware don't even really understand what it is like you said it's like oh is it second life oh is it roblox you know like it's it's hard for people to try to take kind of this big this big idea and they're kind of trying to retrofit it into what they already know and it's not quite you know it's not quite the same um so i think there's still a lot of kind of you know, just a, a gap of understanding. And I think right now it's hard because there's not even necessarily a lot of like quote unquote education you can do in terms of, oh, there's this thing and you just have to jump in it. And get, like it, it's still as much kind of an idea as, as you know, it is something that, um, that, that will materialize. So I think that's, you know, at, at, at a high level, that's a struggle, but at the same time, we can, I think, start to look at and, and talk to people about the types of virtual experiences that they're willing to to make um, w- within metaverse. So, you know, we're looking at things like a, a sports event versus a musical, you know, a music concert versus a festival, things like that. Like what's going to be intriguing to people? Um I think a, a lot of the kind of, you know, virtual shopping environment and trying to understand what the best fit there is, um, is, yeah. is really interesting. Um, I think we're looking at a lot of questions around barriers, um, just just because, you know, certainly there will be. And I think two that I'm keeping an eye on are um, one, kind of the idea of crypto wallet. Um, so mm-hmm. when, when you start to dig into things about the metaverse and kind of how people expect the economy of the metaverse to occur, the, you know, a, a crypto wallet is kind of a big part of that. So now you have two things people have to understand and adopt and feel comfortable with um, mm-hmm. to really fully interact. Um, so I think that's one. And I think kind of the the idea of lawlessness and this goes back to the beginning of our conversation around toxicity and and things like that um you know people just feeling comfortable in it um and and you know the idea that there are avatars um that could or could not represent who someone actually is and and people feeling like you know that's a place they want to interact i think that um can can be a really big barrier as well so kind of looking at all that. Um, but we're actually you have right now working on um, a, a report that'll come out in a couple months um, on on the topic and exploring 
um, things like that. So we're excited about it. And, and right now, I think the key is trying to understand two things. One, for people who understand it, what they want to do. But two, is not moving too fast and trying to just understand, like, how how do we get people comfortable with the idea and, and how do we explain it to people um, in a way that, that will help them to understand it and, and get them in the virtual door, so to speak. Yeah. Well, and speaking of getting people into the virtual door, I want to talk about how we can include women in how we build the metaverse. There's been plenty of stories from other tech industries and the Silicon Valley environment where women weren't necessarily included at the beginning you can basically draw a straight line to some of the issues that we have today as a result of women not being there for building from the ground up. And that goes that the same point is true for other minorities. I mean, look at all the issues people with dark skin tones are having with AI. It's just unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Um, so as someone who looks at entertainment trends and you can see some of the differences in how genders are included in various industries. How can we make sure that we don't have the same issues in building the metaverse? And I, I think we're already even a little late on this. Yeah. But how can we make sure that we don't have maybe hopefully the depth of the same issues we have in the metaverse, you know, 5, 10, 20 years down the line? Yeah, it's, I think, such a, a good and important question, especially when you think about, you know, people could argue and, and I think we would probably both agree wrongly so that, oh, you know, the gaming industry is dominated by males, but that's okay because it's mostly males that play games. It's like play games. It's like, okay, is that chicken or the egg? Um, but exactly, when you, yeah. yeah. But when you think about the metaverse and, and if the idea is to replicate everything that someone does in the real world and the virtual world, like that is a true 50, 50 split from a gender mm-hmm. perspective. When you think about, um, you know, who's making purchases for a household, it's mostly females. You know, anyone that does research in CPG is interviewing 80% female, 20% male. So if you think about it from just a pure purchase power and who's making decisions and who could potentially, you know, be purchasing things in a digital environment, it would, um, it would, underserve everyone, including the people who are set to make money on the metaverse to not if the, if females weren't included um, as, as part of it. But to your point, um, I mean, if, if the everything from the metaverse is, is rooted in starting in Silicon Valley, then it's kind of going back to the same, uh, you know, a lot of the, the same issues right. in, in terms of, you know, how do you even engage um, people in the first place. Um, but I, I do think that there are going to be some cool opportunities with the metaverse of almost kind of like small business type stuff. Like I think it that the idea that we're taking, we're creating a new economy in a virtual space means we all have a chance to kind of redo how people are contributing to the economy and and who gets priority and and help and support and things like that. And and so I'm hopeful that um, you know that all all the trends we've seen about you know small businesses, um, black women owned businesses, you know, just things like that, that, that are starting to get more voice and, and more attention that, um, that we can start to incorporate that even if we're all pretty late in the regular world, um, the physical world that we can start to incorporate that a, a bit more in the virtual world. <laughs> 
Yeah. Well, that, I mean, I'm hopeful that that's true too. I, I feel like I've been like beating the wall with you should include women because mm-hmm. of the purchasing power thing. There's yes. such a huge missed opportunity. It's like, God, and that's the exact discussion we had at the beginning of this episode. So I don't want to rehash it too much, but it's just like, hello, advertisers, people trying to sell things. <laughs> Who's making the purchases? <laughs> right, exactly. Well, especially if you, if you think about, you know, if, if teens and, you know, kind of younger consumers are going to be part of the virtual world and, and the metaverse economy, it's the parents that need to be, you know, that need to feel good about it and engaged and that sort of thing. So you're now influencing moms to even be able to let this entire generation in. Um, so it's, it, yeah, I think just the, the dollars and cents of it should help but there's more (laughs) more cultural factors at play than that i think (laughs) there always is um and on that note i'm gonna do just a quick summary before we wrap up with our last segment um so some of the things we talked about with younger generations women and girls aren't just playing mobile and casual games they're getting more into different types of games so the whole women are only playing Candy Crush thing is going by the wayside a little bit, which also means that we definitely need more content for women. Um, women represent a large portion of the population. Women follow influencers. They're only spending more time on gaming and entertainment content, and they're only getting more into games. So more content would be great. When it comes to content partnerships, it's kind of a dual matchmaking process where the company chooses the influencer, the influencer chooses the company. That's to both provide the company with the appropriate audience to sell its product and to make sure that the influencer doesn't like sell out, like look like a sellout. Um, that relationship does also evolve over time. So you have to make sure it's kind of a harmonious partnership so you can kind of keep placing ads and keep having that symbiotic relationship going. The supply of uh, Twitch streamers isn't looking great as of right now, but you did indicate that the supply of micro-influencers is starting to grow, which is cool. So it's hopefully encouraging if women can have smart growth within the industry, then this micro-influencer pipeline can lead to more women Twitch streamers. We can hopefully see that 5 out of 100 number start to shoot up much further. When it comes to kids, they're basically already in the metaverse. They have their Roblox platforms. They have their Finstas. They have their ways of communicating that is much different than the ways that you and I grew up communicating, um, which is a good thing. So the things that they're going to come up with with the metaverse is going to be probably a lot different than what we could imagine. And when it comes to women and parents and people who have purchasing power, women have a lot of it. So they should be included because not only are they purchasing for themselves, but they're purchasing for the household where said kids who are already in the metaverse live. Um, So having intelligent advertising to and for women is one way of more quickly getting to the metaverse and hopefully with some amount of equity um, in there as well. So the last segment I like to do is a moment of reflection. This is just a chance for you to give some advice to um, maybe people who are looking to get into a similar field or who are thinking about getting into data or younger listeners, older listeners, whoever it is looking to uh, rethink about their career a little bit. So what is one thing you would like to tell your younger self about getting into the gaming industry and being successful? Yeah, so I I think, the biggest thing that I've kind of had to mentally overcome, and I think if I had had the advice early on, it, it would have helped, is um, recognizing that I did not have to be an expert in every single thing related to gaming in order to 
successfully contribute to the industry. Um, so, you know, for example, I am the first to admit that I am not a hardcore PC gamer, which when people ask me, you know, oh, you, you know, esports, you, you know, you help companies understand what to do and how to play in the space. You must be, you know, like a super hardcore, um, you know, fan. And, and I mean, obviously I follow the industry as, as closely as anyone and, and I'm super engaged, but it's okay that I'm not playing League of Legends 40 hours a week. Um, so I would, I, I think, you know, what was really important for me to learn and become comfortable with over time is I have my expertise, which is taking data, building data to fit the industry based on how I understand it and what the needs are, and, and then educating people with that. That means that I don't need to know every little nuance of every little game. It means that I don't have to know the best kill rate ratio of every team, of every title. You know, there's there's so much. The gaming industry is so big and only getting bigger um, that I think, and and I maybe it was partially because I was kind of female and a, a minority in the industry that, you know, I, I kind of had this hang up that, oh, if I don't know everything about everything in the industry, I, you know, I can't serve it. And I think realizing that it's okay for me to have blind spots because my job is to help other people in the industry with their blind spots that I can support like that. That was a really important realization for me to just kind of become comfortable and, and know that I know my stuff when and stay in my lane with it. So I think um, that's that's really important. It's, it's good to be a specialist. It's OK to be a specialist and you have to educate yourself and, and you know, know about the space and become comfortable with it all. But finding your niche and, and kind of doubling down on that um, is is a really successful way to, to get involved in the industry. So don't let um, the breadth of it scare you. <laughs> well, from one non-core hard gamer to another, I sincerely <laughs> appreciate that advice because one of the reasons and one of the motivations for starting this podcast was definitely the the imposter syndrome feeling of needing to know everything that's going on and feeling lesser because you don't play League of Legends for 40 hours a week. <laughs> so that is awesome advice. Um, totally in line with some of the things that I went through when getting into the industry. And I certainly hope that more women, more people who might not think that they have a place can learn that you don't have to be really hardcore to be involved um, in that. In fact, having that diversity of opinions and views and having people who aren't super hardcore can be extremely valuable to a team um, because not all of the population is hardcore gamers either. So <laughs> it can be really, really, really uh, worth its weight when you have a sort of different perspective than someone who is really into PC gaming. So that is awesome advice. Nicole, thank you so much for coming on. Where can people find you? Where can people find YouGov's work? Uh, what should they be looking out for? Give them all the info. Yeah, great. Um, so YouGov's website is today.yougov.com. Um, you can find all sorts of insights and, and info, whether you just want to figure out what we've run research on and, and look at what consumers like you are saying or you know, dig into everything we do in, in gaming and esports. That's all there. Um, I personally am most active on LinkedIn. Um, so I think it's, you know, linkedin.com, nicole-pike.esports, or dash esports, but you can find me on there. Um, that's where I like to, to kind of, you know, put a voice out there with um, data and all the cool things that we're doing at YouGov and, and some data-driven opinions on some of the biggest news, which there has been no shortage of these days in the gaming space. <laughs> 
Nicole does have some very, very good and insightful uh, reading or uh, posts on LinkedIn. I will say, oh, I I was exploring your page last night in preparation for this, and I was like, wow, she puts up a lot of stuff. For those of you who are looking at things like the Microsoft and Activision Blizzard merger, mm-hmm. she put up an insight almost immediately when it went through, and it, I found it to be very useful. So, definitely a good person to find and follow on there. Um, for all of our listeners, please leave those five-star ratings and reviews. You know the you know the deal by now. Be sure to check out other Holodeck Media podcasts, including Meta Business, for all the metaverse finance stories you could ever want, and Business of Esports for interviews with industry leaders. You can catch me Wednesday nights on the Business of Esports Live After Show, and you can catch this podcast in your feed every Tuesday. We will see you next week. Thanks for joining us here on Meta Woman. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast everywhere you get your podcasts, leave a five-star review, and tell your friends, family, and colleagues all about us. Also, make sure to follow Meta TV on all socials to get more of the best Metaverse content anywhere. Tune in every week for another episode of Meta Woman.